Roy Acuff, the country music singer, fiddler, promoter, and Freemason, was known as the, quote, king of country music. He is credited with moving the genre from the string brand hoedown format to the singer-based format that helped make it internationally successful. None other than Hank Williams, no slouch himself, and the name that probably replaced Acuff's as the gold standard for early pop country, told Ralph Gleason in 1952, Roy's the biggest singer this music ever knew. You booked him and you didn't worry about crowds. For drawing power in the South, it was Roy Acuff, then God. End quote. Today, we're discussing Roy Acuff's nebulous compilation, The Great Roy Acuff, on Louder Than Sound. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Welcome to another episode of Louder Than Sound. I'm Charlie, here with my brother Jake. And we're going to bring you another slice of random music from the past. So this is our third uh, episode in the theme pre-1955. And really that just kind of idea is the pre-rock, generally pre-album uh, look at different music. So our first one in the series was with guest Tim Reavers who talked to us about Frank Sinatra's In the We Small Hours, which was an album and it was from 55. But yes. <laughs> uh, I follow things up with a look at Washington Phillips, an early gospel singer, and some recordings done between 27 and 29. And Jake's going to bring us to Roy Acuff, a very well-known early country singer, obviously. Again, it's, like, it's him and Hank Williams, like that well, That's what I could tell you those country singers. Before about 1950, those are probably the only two country singers I could name. And Patsy Cline, too. Oh, okay. Patsy Cline, sure. Yeah. I guess I don't think of her. And the Carters. Of, the Carters. I think of her in them. the 60s. I think, of the, I think of them being more in, like, the 60s, but maybe not. I don't know. No. Um, we had, you know, both had a lot of thoughts on what to do from this. Um, I was going to share a couple that I came close to. Washington Phillips was one of my big ones I was really interested in talking about, and he ended up being the winner. The other really big one that I really came close to doing was uh, was some earlier Billie Holiday. Oh, uh, yeah. I love me some Billie Holiday. Who doesn't? And, you know? Who doesn't? I don't know. It's hard not to like it. Yeah. I thought about uh, Edith Piaf, mm-hmm. the famous mm-hmm. French singer. It was, you know, a lot of that. Um, some Django Reinhardt. Oh, also yeah. Oh, the sure. 40s. I love his music. I also thought about Bessie Smith, um, another well-known and gospely early jazz singer who died in the late 30s, I want to say, so all her stuff is is kind of a time capsule there. But Washington Phillips is the winner. Now, Jake, you end up going with Ray Acuff. You just barely managed it. You actually picked Carl Sandburg <laughs> to the point where I, I listened to the album you picked, and then you changed your mind afterwards. Which is fine, because I liked it, and I was, you know, I was I was very happy with uh, having listened to it. I'm just I'm just uh, really flighty. Everyone knows that about me. I just flip from here to there. Just, from hither, you know, hither and to. Just a flip, a flip-flopper. I'm a, flip, I'm a real flip-flopper. Because you're not, you're not consistent when it comes to picking an album for this one thing this one time. <laughs> and yeah, now, how can, I ever, how can I ever trust you again? You can't. That's the that's yeah. the bare that's the bare facts of it. Nope. You just can't. Nope. Nope. So uh, let's talk about Roy Acuff a little bit. 
Hey, um, let's he do, is let's a, do that. Yeah. He is a giant, uh, one of the original giants of the form that we sort of understand it as today. Um, he was really big in the 1930s with his band, the Smoky Mountain Boys. Um, Smoky Mountain Boys. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, they joined the Grand Old Opry in 1938, which at the time um, played at the Ryman Theater in Nashville, and they were also a traveling troupe. So it was kind of like a, the Grand Old Opry, I think now we think of it as a venue, but back then it was kind of like an organization of country Okay, musicians. I did not, I they didn't know that They had traveling shows, like you, you joined them as if you would join like a repertoire, a theater repertory kind of thing. Okay, um, interesting. Uh, and although his popularity waned as other singers became bigger in the 40s, um, such as Hank Williams and Patsy Cline, um, he made three crucial moves that would cement his legacy, despite his name not ringing through the ages quite like the most famous country stars he helped create. Uh, first, he became a key, a key figure in the Grand Old Opry organization, um, which was shockingly popular um, for a time. It was like America's biggest music. Um, mm. in the 30s and 40s. Um, he made some uh, movies, some pretty crappy ones. He was like a, <laughs> he was like a singing car oh, salesman a or sing, something. A singing cowboy. He, he couldn't have been a singing cowboy? No, he wasn't very much what a cowboy. What else would he be? It was like a what singing, else would he be? He was like a singing like car salesman or something. These were bad movies. These, they were, they uh, weren't good. Uh, Alright. Uh, he and the Smoky Mountain Boys became the biggest draw of uh, at the residency at the Ryman Auditorium and in their traveling tent shows uh, where legend has it the traffic would wrap you know around the block for like miles and miles uh, for people trying to come see them. So they were, mm. they were a big deal. Um, he continued his relationship with the Grand Old Opry there until his death in 1992. Figuring great... 1992? Yeah, 92? Wow. Yeah, he was like okay. 89 years old. Uh, Good one. He, uh, he figured greatly in their move from the Ryman Auditorium to the Grand Old Opry House in 1974, which was a big deal at the time. Um, and he performed daily on stage well into his 80s, having, mo- having moved into a small house on the grounds after his wife died. So he literally lived <laughs> at the Grand Old Opry. He lived at the Grand Old Opry. Yes, he sang there. Uh, there he is did a no number of better things. way, as, as a famous country singer, there's no better way to die than sad because your wife died. Yeah. Living at the Grand Old Opry uh, and playing and there perform, and playing country music every day, every single day. <laughs> um, the second thing he did uh, to kind of to kind of keep himself going in our imagination is he appeared on the 1972 album by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, um, "Will the Circle Be Unbroken?" Uh, which, oh, I didn't know he was on that. Which at the time sparked a, a sizable folk revival, and pretty much everyone on that, from the Carters to Roy Acuff, uh, received a bit of a career resurgence. However, briefly. And then third, in 1942, he and songwriter Fred Rose formed A Cuff Rose Music, which quickly and a little serendipitously became the most important publishing company in country music. Um, They ended Mm -hmm. up signing Hank Williams to a publishing deal, and they published Patti Page's rendition of the Tennessee Waltz. 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 The Tennessee Waltz. um, Which, as a music therapist, I can tell you, every single person above the age of maybe... 60, 55, every single person knows that song. It was a huge smash hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it somehow survived. So, uh, most importantly, though, uh, good old Roy seemed to represent a certain kind of old school, country fried, blue collar, down home, red blooded American country musical <laughs> aesthetic. He kind of. Oh man, all those things. Yeah. Uh, it's very endearing and frankly hilarious. He's a little, he's a little like Forrest Gump. 
Um, <laughs> you know, he's a little problematic at times, um, but like I, the way I think about him after reading about all the stuff he did is he may have been an inspiration for like several characters in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, the kind of <laughs> Not just all, all of the characters. Yeah, like all of the ones that weren't Robert Johnson, maybe. Like he really embodied, and he may have invented these tropes and stereotypes. I have no idea. Like he was such a big deal. Um, so instead of having a multiple choice where I try to trick you um, into into guessing which of these things is not real, I don't think you would ever be able to. Um, I'm just going to give you a delightful list of things he did during his life. <laughs> hey, sounds great. In a list for right. that, and you can you can discuss as 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 needed or warranted as I go through. Yeah, this is, this we'll is do. mostly chronological. So as a young boy, he amused people who came to his parents' house, um, who had like gatherings um, to play music, and one of them was a politician or something like that. Uh, by balancing farm tools on his chin, as one does, as yep. one does, you know, when you're trying to when you're trying to impress, trying you know, to amuse, when you're trying to amuse visiting the farm. Yep, <laughs> like boy, get out of here with them farm tools. <laughs> uh, he, yes, pa, we'll do, pa. Uh, this is the this is the slightly problematic part. Although at the time it was very very common and popular, unfortunately. Uh, but he was a blackface performer for a time. Uh, um, so that is unfortunate. It is, but. Uh, yep. You know, um, specifically for the Dr. Howard Medicine Show, um, he came and sang as a blackface performer to draw large crowds so Howard could sell patent medicines of suspect quality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 oh, a seamy act got even seamier. This is the story of America right here, I tell you what. Uh, he suffered a nervous breakdown after his promising baseball career with the Knoxville Smokies fizzled out due to sunstroke. <laughs> Knoxville Smokies. Yeah, that they were a great name right there. I think there. they were uh, they were a bona fide minor league team um, for okay. like maybe the the New York Giants or something. Like he had a chance to be a major league baseball player, like a real. One. <laughs> well, I guess I'll become the most famous country singer in history. Exactly, uh-huh. exactly. And apparently, the sunstroke thing was like a, a condition. Like he couldn't go outside during the day for a while. He was ill for years, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's when he started learning to play the fiddle. After that, he's like, I got. I got some time to kill here. Let's. I can't go out in the day. Hey. Let's learn to play hey, the hand fiddle. Me, hey, hand me that fiddle. Uh, one of his musical, like one of his great musical companions, was a dobro guitar player um, named Bashful Brother Oswald, whom he mm. met in a bakery. So that's cool. Um, he was a dedicated Freemason who ran for governor of Tennessee in 1948. Um, and although he didn't win, he apparently helped reinvigorate the entire Republican Party brand in that state, which obviously continues to this day. Like Tennessee is a big old Republican brand. Yeah, yeah. So, good for him. Um, On the night of the grand opening of the Grand Old Opera House um, that I mentioned in 1974, this is real, apparently, he showed Richard Nixon, who was um, just about to be deposed um, from Uh, the presidency, or quit, whatever. Um, He was was a guest at this this gala event. Uh, uh, He taught Richard Nixon how to to use a yo-yo. And... (laughs) And then he convinced the president uh, to play several songs on the piano during the show. This ha- this happened, apparently. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I, I is kept, there a recording of that? I want I, to hear. A I'm sure there is. I, it was a Richard Nixon. It was a big deal. Um, and then in the 1980s, when he was living on the Grand Ole Opry grounds, as we discussed, he would arrive early most days before the shows and performed odd jobs, such as stocking soda in the backstage refrigerators. 
Uh, unpretentious, just a regular yes, guy. Yes, that's just, what I'm saying. Uh, He's just down home. So. Completely just going about the work, doing what needs to be done, you know? Yeah, and keep in mind, this is a person who has no less than two museums in his honor. A John F. Kennedy Center Lifetime Achievement Award was the first living member uh, inducted in the Country Music Hall of Fame, and I think he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame or whatever, but <laughs> that soda's... And he also stocked the soda. That's right. You know, the singers need... Of achievements. The singer needs soda pops. We gotta get those yeah, for him. Well. Um, and then I just thought this was hilarious, even though it has nothing to do with nothing. Um, this will be my last one. Um, he owned a, a cave from 1948 to 1963 that eventually became a Tennessee state natural area. So he just... <laughs> just just had a, owned a cave. You know, like, how many... You know, we all have a cave, but, like, uh, how, I mean, many, how many turned into natural areas for the state? Not me and not mine. Not no. mine. My cave sits fallow. Here, <laughs> I barely even I barely even go spelunking anymore. You know <laughs> exactly. Gosh, it's cold down there in that cave. Um, which brings us to his music, Chaz, and which brings us to how you might feel about this particular compilation of his early to mid fifties musical offerings called the mm-hmm. Great Roy Acuff. Um, you and I talked a while ago on this podcast with our mother about Annie Lou Harris and we got mm-hmm. a little bit into what we thought about country music in particular and I know you're not a fan and frankly this is as white country southern country as music gets pretty much mm-hmm. um, there's not even many gospel tunes on here to make you feel bad about not liking them you know <laughs> um, that having been said to me it sounds a little bit more like bluegrass um, than anything else and that might not offend you as much um, at least there's not any yodeling, although it comes pretty close a couple times that I could detect. Um, I do not think this will sit great with you. Um, for the audience at home, we have a negative five to plus five scoring system. And during this portion, I'm going to tell you what I think Chaz will give it. And I think he's going to give it a negative 2.0 out of five. I do not think this is for you. Yeah. Yeah. You tell me, though, buddy. Hey, I will. I will do that. Do it. So... In a few words here, you know, this was, it, this felt to me like super generic, stereotypical country. Yeah. And I know that's like not fair because he's the guy who invented this. Song, right. You know, it's not <laughs> him copying others people. Yeah. And, I, and I'm aware of that. Yeah. yeah. Is that he, everyone else is copying him. And what's interesting about this was I felt like this could have been recorded anywhere up to like the late seventies. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference as to when it was recorded. And so that's interesting to you that just really strong country. I don't know. Aesthetic. Aesthetic. And how I don't feel like it really changed until like sometime in the 80s when it got blended more with pop and, you know, when you went into the 90s and Garth Brooks and that kind of thing. Um, and I, I don't like it. I just don't <laughs> like it. What? And this no. is what I really want. I really, I want to bring this into a little discussion. I told you before the show that I had a little more, a little bit of a tangent to take us on during uh-huh. my thoughts on this album. Because my liking of it is completely personal aesthetics it has nothing to do with the quality of the music yeah and so i was trying really trying to think about why don't i like it and so i was playing this with my wife who has that's kind of similar feelings to country music as i do um and so part of it was thinking about what it conjures and what it like what it what it connects to in our brains and i remember this quote that i read by uh daniel lupayton who is the musician behind the uh electronic experimental musician one oh tricks point never oh yeah Uh uh-huh um, I've got a couple of his albums which I quite like. And I, I remember this quote, um, and his quote was, Timbrel fascism sucks. <laughs> Timbrel fascism? Timbrel fascism sucks. That's okay. quite a statement right there. Okay. And it was, yeah, it was 
quoted in a Pitchfork review of one of his album's riffs. It's from apparently from a 2009 interview with The Wire. And his point was, is there's all these sounds that, you know, just belong to a certain type of music. And they bring up, they, they conjure up these, these ideas and it, it can bring out emotions, either positive or negative, and it doesn't really reflect on the quality of the music himself. Sure. So one of Trick's point never does that. He samples a lot of like cheesy 80s music in completely different ways, like takes it completely out of its context in wild new ways. Okay. And um, and to me, like that, it makes it completely new and I'm fine with it. But when I first hear a lot of those sounds, I kind of like, oh, it's this little like cringe. And then you get into it more. And I started thinking about things like uh, Bon Iver on his second album, self-titled. <laughs> there, the final track is yeah. called Bath. It's Beth Rest, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just cheesy. Awful. It's cheesy. It's so. It's just is. It takes on all of this '80s, early '90s cheesy, like soprano saxophone over the top, and they synths and everything. It oh, takes yeah. it to the nth degree. And I, I remember the first time I listened, I went, "Holy crap! What is this crap?" Yeah. And but I really like Boney Bear, and especially like that album. I love. And I, re- I remember listening to it. And I thought, okay. I know it's just, it's there because it, it just makes me think of this awful, cheesy, soft rock junk. And I think if I listen to it a few more times, I'm going to get there. And I never got there on no, that song. Not that song. It's happened on other songs where it was, you know, like a little bit of a problem. But that one never, I never made it. And so I started thinking about all of this. This is like a big, you know, I'm going on, I totally take it on a wild tangent. I'm doing it, Jake. Yeah, yeah, I can sell. <laughs> but just this, like how, how this makes you feel and these combinations and all these different things, you know. Um, and it made the country music is so, it's so divisive. You know, there's people who just love the only music they're going to listen to is country music. Yeah. And there's other people like me to an extent where the only music you're not going to listen to is country music. <laughs> and why is that? Like, where does that come from? Is this just connections to different things? Is I mean, is it, a, you know, there's country music comes into politics, you know, mm-hmm. like this is very much a, you know, down home, like it's more of a Southern thing. It's more it's a of a populist, thing. it's a populist genre. It's a populist thing. It's yeah. more of a rural music. You know, we grew up in rural Wisconsin Yes, and it was very popular in rural Wisconsin where, you know, there's no Wisconsin country singers. It doesn't, doesn't happen, you know? Um, I mean, Boney Bear is the closest we got to a, a Wisconsin country. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen, you know? And I don't, I don't know the answer to any of this. I couldn't come up with a... I was trying to think of other music that's as divisive. I think mm. hip-hop's somewhere in yeah, that Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to um, say. Disco was, but I think disco is kind of... Like, disco's become more okay in the last 10 years For than sure. it was. Yeah, it in, was like, very... The 90s, div- it it was, used to be very divisive, you're right. Well, and it was more, but, you know, it, it was less divisive than just everyone hated it, you know? Like, if you, if you liked it, you didn't, you didn't tell anybody about it, you know? You kept that to yourself. <laughs> Disco came back in the last 10 years. Now people are fine with it again. Yeah, or at least disco influences. Typical influence, yes. So all of these thoughts come together. I don't have an answer to any of this, but I yeah. thought it was an interesting thing to to get into and, and to kind of discuss and to think over and to kind of figure out. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Jake. Well, my, my, but, first, you my, know. my first thought is that I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, and... I would have said the same thing, like growing up in the same place that you did in the 90s, um, liking the music that I liked, which at the time was like classic rock, uh, which of course has com- country influences that I mm-hmm. couldn't really detect at the time. I wouldn't yeah, have thought yeah. that was country music um, because what I thought in alter- alternative rock, so we're talking like Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails, you know, all that stuff yeah. that was going on at the time, like country was the dirtiest word, like 
I would never, ever have thought that I liked country music because the country music that was going on then was the first blush of the really big, like, arena rock country yeah. music. We're, we're yeah. talking, like, pickup trucks, crying in your beer, you yes. know? Yeah. And it was a lifestyle rather than a right. type yeah. of music. Now, yeah. what, what I would challenge you to do maybe, and it, it's okay if you don't like the sound of country music, but what I've come to understand about it is that there's, like, there's slices and like almost entirely different genres of country music. Sure, so like, sure. So what Roy Acuff traded in, um, for instance, was definitely like an Appalachian bluegrass country music. Mm-hmm. Um, the blues was because there is there there is some country I like. I mean, I like Johnny Cash, and I've sure. got some. Sure. I even like Hank Williams. Yeah, and that's all. That's all of this. And, and like yeah, but that end of things. And so I think I can see what you're saying is the more we the more the bluegrass end is what doesn't thrill me as yeah. much and uh but, you know not yeah. not to not to throw it under one big umbrella but like blues music is country music it just was from a different part of the country yeah blues you know country music is folk music it's like it all kind of got slotted in um and then but i guess that it depends on your definition of these terms too yeah because country as a shortened for country western you know because I like I like a lot of folk, which is you know clearly it's it's a kissing cousin of, of country at at best. To you use know, a, or, to, use know, a trou- to use a troublesome simile, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like plenty of folk, and I, don't, I again I just couldn't figure out. But that's so so what you're that's saying a good point where the bluegrass end of things I think is yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, and gospel can be you know got very early on slotted into blues and country music. Yeah. Um, because it's like normal country music is like normal people playing music, folk music, basically. But unfortunately, the subgenre of the pop country, you know, which continues mm-hmm. to this day, it doesn't even sound like country music anymore. No, no, not even like stereotypically speaking. Um, it's mm-hmm. just guys in cowboy hats, I guess. Um, yes. You know, screaming and rapping and doing all sorts of stuff. Like I know I sound like kind of an old guy, but. Yeah, <laughs> you I, are an old guy. You turned uh, yeah. turn 40 recently, Jake. You are an old guy. I did. I did. And You're now I yell from the rooftops about the difference between country music subgenres. So there you have it. <laughs> so that there you go. There's my wild tangent with yeah. nothing resolved at the end whatsoever. Well, that's... But some food for thought that I'm sure will come back up again in the oh, future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely will. You no, know, I got I got a review coming up in a couple that I know it's gonna come up in. So just wait for episode twenty one, and we'll definitely start talking about this kind of thing again then. Awesome. But, uh, there you go. Awesome. So what do you give it? What's your score? Um, I gave it a negative one. A negative one. Okay. Not no, as bad no. as I thought. Not as no. bad as I thought. Um, it, it. I found it a little more enjoyable. I think the second time I listened to it, I tried. I, I don't think I listened to the whole thing the second time. But. uh when I knew the songs a little bit better, like it just felt like it was ran together. You know, it's this very, it's what I think of the, it's very stereotypical bluegrass it know, country western. You know, it's, yeah. it's the guitars, it's the drums, it's the bass doing this kind of like polka beat, polka, boom, you know, boom, 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 boom. I know it's interesting. This little like polka and marching bands and country music have the same bass lines on them. Yeah. I think it's a really good, interesting combination here. Um, and then you got the, all the guitars laid on top. It's obviously like a big band feel. You know, you got seven or eight people playing, it sounds like, most of the time. And the fiddle, just fiddling on fiddling. top of there. And, and Roy Acuff <laughs> singing away. And, you know. Yeah, well, he played the fiddle. Yep. He played the fiddle, too. That was part of his shtick. So all, okay. the, all the fiddle, I'm pretty sure all of it you hear on these songs is him, you know. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, as for me, um, my discussion, you know, uh, about this, 
about this compilation mirrors a little bit what you're saying um, and what I said about what you were saying, which is that uh, musically, this is very adjacent to some of my favorite country music, um, that umbrella. Um, it sounds like Appalachian bluegrass due to the fiddles and the dobro, which is that kind of, that's the slide guitar thing you hear that goes... <laughs> and uh, the upright bass, which I think sounds good. Yep. And uh, I really love bluegrass music, and I've played that in my life as a guitar player um, and as a singer. Um, so that's a good mark for, for, uh, for Roy. Um, I was weaned on this particular instrumentation as our father and mother um, had that Nitty Gritty Dirt Band album, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Sure, sure. Um, and I always liked that for mysterious reasons. Uh, maybe nostalgia, maybe just because I actually liked it. Um, Sorry, I'm, I'm going to go into one more short tangent here. Yeah. Oh. What I find interesting is that you and I listened to the same music growing up. Yeah. And this is the type of music you really enjoy. It's the type of music that Loved I it. don't. And that's what I think about is is interesting, too. And I, I think Very I describe it. When we did the Emmylou Harris album with our mother talking about how much she loved it, I described myself as the black sheep of the family when it came to Emmylou Harris because yeah. everyone else loves her. And I'm like, eh. well, I would. she's got a good voice. Eh. I would. Uh, and, totally and that's true. interesting to the two of us having that being raised on the same music. Right. And same you, albums, know, you being, same you being uh, two years older than me. You were a big influence as to what music I liked when I was getting more into it in like middle school and stuff. And it wasn't until high school when I really got into my own when you were, you know, and then when you left for college and I was not as in, like as connected with you. But it's interesting. There, there's some kind of in like deeper down, you know, personal preferences for here. Sure. So it's not just it's about. Preference. Yeah, it's, it's not just about, you know, a societal thing. It's uh, it's there's no, more to that. No. No, you know? it's, to it's totally personal. It's in, in education, we talk all the time about nature versus nurture, mm -hmm. about, you know, what just came with you, what, you know, and what was bred into you or what happens with, from your environment. There's some nature there, too, like, because otherwise you and I would like exactly the same music. For sure there's don't. nature. And as a music therapist, I, that's the first thing I need to know about somebody is what music they really love and what they don't love, because it can be just as damaging to play somebody music that they, you know, despise, especially if they right. have dementia <laughs> or some other some other mental health concern where they wouldn't be able to, um, you know, control their emotions. It's like, I, I need to know what you like. Otherwise, I'm yeah. going to hurt you rather than help you. So, yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, if, if I'm in a fragile emotional state, don't play me Roy Acuff. <laughs> well, I've tried so many times. You keep rejecting me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, I get, and I guess I liked... The will the circle be unbroken back then? Um, but I would have, you know, as I said, I country was like I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch what I thought country music was, with a ten foot foot pole. Yeah. Um, but what I meant was that modern country that was popular at the time. Um, the the Dirt Bands album was not some modern reworking of classic Southern country standards. It was a gathering of the masters of the form together after a fallow period to exactly recreate that sound that they used to make mm -hmm. in new versions that sounded the same as the old ones. Um, so it was more of a revival, not a recreation. So when I hear Ray Acuff's music on this compilation, I think I'm hearing parts of what I liked from Will the Circle Be Unbroken, which sounds exactly the same as what this, this okay. sounds like. And he was on that record, as we've said. Um, Acuff's voice is very distinctive and not distinctive at the same time due to the fact that he basically created and popularized that stereotypical country twangy voice um, that has dominated the genre ever since. Mm -hmm. um, he learned early on to sing loudly enough and clearly enough without a microphone when he was performing um, with a full band. Um, so that ringing, clear, kind of nasally tone is meant to cut through the din of a full country band. 
Sure, uh, sure. And that, but that's not the problem. For that's me. an inter- that's an interesting thought because that is a very like again stereotypical country song. Yeah. It's Even just sing, she was singing, but that's interesting that that developed from yeah. it was, it necessity. Was a, it was a performance yeah. necessity. That makes it sense. Is, I mean, it is piercing at times. It really oh, yeah. cuts through. Um, the problem, of course, is that twang, um, that stereotypical twang. Blue eyes crying in the rain. Yeah. That old chestnut that every single person, man or woman, has probably made fun of and attempted at least <laughs> once in their life. Everyone's tried the country twang, you know. For, oh, sure. For whatever reason. Um, so for that reason, it's a little tough sometimes to listen to. Um, and although back then it was not a parody, it can sound like one now. And it just makes me want to slap my knee a little bit and drink some moonshine whiskey. Oh, Yee-hoo. man. Maybe that was the problem. I did not really drink any moonshine while You had music. zero? Probably would have liked it more if I had. I think you should have had at least a thimbleful. I mean, come on. Uh, or one of those glass jugs with the XXX on it. That you, you got to like... You throw you know, it like, over your elbow. Like, some, you, know, like, you hook your thumb. You, know, you, hold it, you hold it really strange. I don't know, like around it. And... Yeah, and then you try not to break your thumb off when you're drinking it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that having been said, uh, I just want to thank goodness that this is not like really cowboy country on here. There's no, there's really none of that. Or the really campy kind where someone is running over a deer in their pickup truck or anything like that. Um, <laughs> this is more the lyrical, lyrical, lyrical kind of style that I like. Um, it's missing the gospel element almost entirely, and I'm not really sure why that is on this compilation, because he was a pretty famous, he had some pretty famous gospel songs. And there's not a, nur- a murder ballad to be found, which I find disappointing. Because oh. country music, what's good country music without somebody getting hurt, you know? Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, these Bruce, are mostly... Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska is sad about that. That's right. It's very sad. It's like, <laughs> get out of here, Roy Acuff. It pretty much took the murder ballad part of country and left the rest alone. That was what it took. That's that was what it, it did. That's all it has. <laughs> Just murder uh, these are mostly weepy torch songs, hard luck tales of quote normal people, um, songs about you guessed it, the country, and a shocking amount of train content, uh, which <laughs> all of which were just just solid gold. You know, I don't know what people's things were with trains back then. the The fascination was overwhelming. There's so many train country songs. Um, usually we talk about it's because it's because Jake you're weepy and it could take you away from here. Take, yeah, the it's the dream take of, away from here. It's the dream of being someplace else, I think. Being much. anywhere else but here. Yeah. The train, it'll drop you off somewhere you don't know where. Yeah. You know, yeah. You I, just, I can do that. Yeah, well, you get it's on. It's on the road. It fell right. The beatniks understand that one, too. I have a, uh, also car enthusiast. It's the same dream with a car. You can yeah. just go somewhere. Being any, anywhere but here, traveling somewhere else. You don't uh, know where. I have a train behind my house that drives alarmingly fast past like every 45 minutes i could jump one of yeah. those maybe yeah do it you okay. should definitely I'll definitely the, you should no saying that. the i just got my hand cut off by the train blues you know absolutely you should <laughs> so usually you and i we talk about albums and the arc and the structure of them as part of our calculus for the points um, that we give them but this really isn't an album at all um it's no. not even really a career spanning greatest hits comp um there was some nebulousness that went on with what version was on Apple Music versus which was listed as the compilation. Yeah, it might, from it might not be the same one. We no, I don't think it up. is. But regardless, it's probably got at least some of the same songs on it, or some of the same feeling anyway. Uh, my understanding of this one is that it's from a certain time period, like maybe the early to mid '50s. Um, so I don't think the Big Smoky Mountain Boys hits are on here from the '30s and '40s. It definitely is of a piece. Like they so. all sound like they recorded sort of at the same time. Um, they're they're not scratchier or better recorded than, than other ones. 
Um, but anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, and his gospel hits aren't on here either, as I said. But still, there's some extremely famous and enduring songs on this. Um, in my experience as a bluegrass fan and music therapist, I'm very familiar with the songs uh, Oh Lonesome Me, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, which was like a number one hit for Willie Nelson later, um, Lost Highway, and The Wreck on the Highway. Um, so those, okay. are, those are all bangers. So if it was me culling this compilation, I would probably cut um, some of the ones that weren't those, um, and I would just take basically like take out the a couple of the weepies and take out the train porn songs. Um, and I think it would be a lot more palatable as an album to listen. But as it is, I enjoy it, and I enjoyed learning more about Roy Acuff, who I think is not being forgotten, because if you've heard of him, then probably, probably he's still in the popular imagination. But certainly... In my work, I haven't heard his name come up nearly as much as, like, a lot of other country stars. Even sure, that, yeah. sure. Uh, people talk about the Carters and Hank Williams and Patsy Cline and all those way more. So, But he was, he was like, the grandmaster of all of them, uh, besides the Carters. Um, so I give this uh, comp a 1.5 out of t mm. uh, 5. Out of a possible okay. plus 5. Okay. Yeah. So what are we doing next, friend? Hey, it's time for a new theme. We did three yeah. on this one because we had a guest uh, host in there as well. But we're moving on to, and this theme is, one and only albums. The idea of being an, uh, an artist where you own one of their albums, and even though you like it, you don't feel like you need anything else yeah. by them. For whatever reason, you just feel like comfortable owning just yeah. this one by And you them. listen to it still. You like it. And you, you listen just... to it still. You like it. You know? You're into but it. You just don't feel a need to get anything else by them. Um, I'll be leading the charge with the first one here with 1982 album Big Science by yeah. Lori Anderson. Mm -hmm. So we're going to break with country, you know, rather than that down-home, <laughs> authentic feel. We're going to get all avant-garde and pretentious and uh -huh. uh, New York cool. Let's do the opposite and, uh, of and we're the, rock it. the we're absolute rock it. opposite of country, I almost want to yeah. say. Oh, yeah, I couldn't get much more different. <laughs> no. 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 So that'll be a treat for next time on Louder Than Sound. So long.